0: My name is Philippe, and today this is not the podcast Life with AI. This is the podcast Chess with AI because today it's a very special episode. I'm here with MVL, the chess champion and well as you can imagine we're going to talk a lot about chess and also the use of AI uh, from these engines to train and uh, to improve your level in chess using these, these AIs and we also are going to just talk about engines. So yeah, this is a really special episode to, to have the chess champion here. And I'm also with Ernest, a friend of my company that really likes chess. Hi, hello everyone. And so can you please present yourself, all uh,
1: Yes, uh, so I'm Maxime I'm French Grandmaster, um, the World Blitz uh, Champion uh, this year.
0: And um, yeah, I'm top 10 in the world. Great, great. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you here. Like we are both yeah. big fans <laughs> of you, so it's gonna be hard to record it. But well, so the first question is, how do you use these chess and giants to train, and like how different it is from before when we didn't have it.
1: So to be fully honest, uh, when I started playing chess, there were already engines Okay. Uh, out there, so the first engines but we were using them as, uh, you know as a security measure, like more to check uh, potential blunders uh, that we missed, potential tactics, uh, but uh, they were not deemed strong enough to uh, to actually rely on them. Nowadays it's much different, like...
2: So, when, when was this, when you started and used the engines this way?
1: Um, so basically like a few years after I started playing chess from so 1998, 1999. Okay. It was Deep and Blue were at the time? On, sorry? It was Deep Blue on the N- time? No, Deep Blue was a uh, computer that was specifically designed okay. by IBM to play this match with Kasparov. Ah, okay. They won, but uh, because it required so much uh, ah, computer, power. computer power, at least for the time, Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> things have obviously changed since then. So this was not available, obviously, to the general public, just like AlphaZero then was not available. Um but um yeah we had engines which were strong enough uh to play with us and to um like realize uh blunders that were made but like we wouldn't trust them in the sense that at some point there was a switch, so I would say between two thousand five and two thousand ten, where suddenly the computers became so much stronger than the humans that whatever suggestions they made uh, we had to actually carefully uh, check them because like we were guided by general principles like develop your pieces in your opening and so on, stuff like that I mean basic stuff, maybe a bit more advanced as well so there were decisions from the computers that were looking extremely suspicious like uh, voluntarily doubling your points voluntarily giving up Uh, your dark square bishop for instance when you have uh, uh, a weak king afterwards but then when the computers became stronger we had to actually check that and then we realized there were concrete reasons or sometimes even like very logical long term play that made this work and sometimes it also didn't work because uh, engines have horizon effects so like that is getting bigger and bigger with the power of uh, both engines and hardware becoming bigger. Um, so, like, let's say at, at the start, the very start, so two thousand when I started playing chess, maybe the horizon effect was like ten plies, which means uh, five full moves. Yeah. Um, now, like two thousand ten, I was already like at least twenty-five to thirty plies. So, which is already closer to fifteen moves, fifteen full moves, and uh, nowadays, I can say it's around forty-five to fifty price, So, it's really uh, big. Like, of course, you can still improve. on the computers play uh, in the openings because it's so early uh, in the beginning of the game that there will always be some mistake by the computer. But they become much harder to to realize. So let's say that nowadays not only do we trust and the computers, we rely on them. We could simply prepare just by you know, letting the computer analyze and not having any external influence. Like our influence on the preparation was, of course, extremely big. Whenever there was no computer, then very big. Like we would check for. Eventual blunders like in two thousand, then two thousand five to two thousand ten, still big influence. But at the same time, we began to uh, work with the computer, like to uh, take into consideration whatever is offering, even if it looked suspicious, and now whatever he says, whatever the computer That's says. The bas- <laughs> basically, like for all intents and purposes, yeah, it's. We deem it as a truth we still of course have to look deeper because everyone has the same computer so you now the main idea is to look at some things that your opponent as overlooked so sometimes we voluntarily play some things that is then less mm. strong by the computer but mm. that will bring our opponent out of the comfort zone. So you so expect
0: that because it's less strong, the the opponent didn't check this variant and then you're going... Yeah, and it's not necessarily less strong. Like if you look deeper and deeper and
1: suddenly can, the computer yeah. starts to agree with you, that it makes sense. So, um, and then the surprise value is just too important. So there are two things that we're looking for. So one thing is... Uh lines where even if the comp- uh, as the opponent knows them knows the lines they're too complicated to remember because there's this you know human defect <laughs> to, to say so that you cannot uh remember everything uh that you're analyzing no matter how hard to try you try and you need some logical boundaries like you need uh things to to be implanted in your mind to not make these mistakes actually like you. So there has to be some logic with what you're preparing and second thing is surprise effects so really try to and it's the most important weapon is to get your opponent out of his preparation and then play yourself with the computer because you've analyzed this beforehand and your opponent is not so it's a of course huge practical advantage
0: yeah and and about this preparation when you go to a tournament like you prepare for someone specific, or you prepare just your game and it's up to the person to... So there's two parts. Um,
1: so when I analyze an opening, should it be the Nidor or Gwenfeld or Kawakan or whatever? Uh, so first of all, I have a bull file like, covering more or less every possibility, everything that I'm ready to play and I'm going to play. Of course, not everything, everything, because it's too much, but yeah. like everything that I need for myself to feel you know um foolproof like so that uh, my opponents can barely surprise me of course at some point they can always find the surprise I mean it but it works both ways. Um so this is a general preparation and this is what I need to remember and you know to to work and work again uh before every tournament because there's so much information nowadays of course yeah. this is uh, one of the things that changed because the computers are so fast so much faster right now and so powerful that you can analyze more more and more deeply so you have like i mean i have 10 200 times more information than five uh, to ten years ago so
0: yeah and we were wondering before like earlier today that you said that everybody used the same algorithm. Doesn't it work to, like, train your own algorithm? Even though it's a bit worse, but it's going to give you some place that no one knows?
1: Yeah, but it doesn't really work that way. Because if it's, um like, what we need to find is not only, like, surprise effect. Yeah. And so it's effectively what we're doing when we're trying to find uh, a move that's... Uh, outside the computers like for three or four uh, options okay. so we're trying to find the so-called inferior option but at the same time that will give your opponent practical chances to to make a mistake and if you take computers that just weaker so basically most of the time it will offer the same moves because uh, well it's not if it's too much weaker then it's just useless so yeah. and if it doesn't offer the same moves uh, then practically it's Often gonna be uh, some move that's uh not useful and there's too much potential for mistakes. Like uh for instance, if I were to use the engines that went back in 2016, I and mean, they felt extremely strong at the time, but you have absolutely zero chance against engines yeah. of today. So um so that's one thing. Um so like coming back to our prepared some uh, I have this general preparation. And then of course when it comes the day of playing my opponent, uh, hopefully I have options. so like I can uh, design my choice against whichever opponent I have. So for instance, and whatever the situation in the tournament is, if I want to play something safer, if I want to play something that gives a uh, much more fight. So there would be two reasons for that. One, uh, my opponent is uh, effectively weaker than uh, some other. Or feels less comfortable uh, in these double-edged positions, or I need a win at all costs, and on the contrary, if I need a draw, uh, I will play something safer, and so on. So uh, those are the specific that I can prepare. Like whenever I know which opponent I'm playing and when in the tournament, and depending on what the situation is in the tournament.
0: Yeah. And and coming back maybe to the, the part of training using the engines, like do you use a specific one? Because like uh, we were discussing here before that uh, stockfish is a bit different than a Lilo zero. For instance, Lila zero they it makes some random place at at look for the beginning, but then you see why it made it. So like do you use a specific engine that is easier for a human to understand, or you use both of them for this surprise matter? no basically
1: like i use a variety of engines and then uh once i'm settled with one like once i feel confident with one of the engines uh i just choose it because uh then that when i'm in agreement with what he's saying and uh you know again it's not about always having the best option but the best option for you like something that keeps me in my comfort zone so but at the end of the day, of course, you want the strongest engine possible, and at the moment that's Stockfish, so that's of course uh, one I mainly use. Okay. But in the past, I've used Houdini. Uh, I've used Lila, obviously. So you know, whenever this engine was the strongest or the mm-hmm. most reliable, uh, we would switch to
0: this one. Yeah. And right now it's Stockfish. So like in the beginning of the game, you pretty much know all of the openings, but sometimes you try to find some different ones to have the surprise. But what about the mid game? Like in the middle of it, there are, no spe- there are some positions that you never saw. And like, do you train using the engine in the middle of the game also, or you just go by your feeling and you calculate uh, yourself?
1: So it depends very often. Like uh, when we are analyzing a specific variation, we have to go deep into the middle game in some cases, just to be aware of what are the plans in the position. Sometimes, what are the specific moves in the position? Because, uh, you can go into a first line where you have to make accurate moves until move thirty, thirty-five, even. And this happens, like in some lines in the night of, it definitely happened to me a f- few times. So you know, it does happen that you go deep into the middle game. But then at the end of the day, there's only limited things you can do, of course, like I don't need to tell you that uh, if you are looking at, you know, three, four candidates move for, for each side uh, after already um, four full moves, that's like uh, too much, uh, too, uh, too many options and too many things to, to digest, uh, to actually remember, so but of course, we're acquainted with general plans. I'm acquainted with, um, you know, um, what what are my goals uh, in the position once I reach the middle game in general? But very often there's gonna be some specific calculation to do because uh, obviously every uh, situation change changes, uh, you know, by just a different placement of one piece of or uh, one pawn can. Change everything in terms of calculation. Of course, you have to adapt to, to what your opponent is doing because very often it will not go for uh, exactly the lines you have analyzed, so then it becomes a battle of minds.
0: Yeah, you have a question? You hold your phone.
2: Yeah. Um, so we talked about middle game and opening, and. What about the endgame? And I also know you, you mentioned how Engine improved the defense of professional chess player in the in the past few years. So can you can you talk about this? Like how do you use them in the in the endgame? Yes.
1: Yeah, so first, with defensive abilities, of course. Uh, what happened? One of the main things that we learn from engines is that the defensive resources are almost limitless. So that means that uh, an attack that was deemed as fully decisive, um, back twenty years ago is uh, def- very often not the case today, and there's always some way to to get to make it out. And so the players started to become more resilient because, of course, we get inspired not only in terms of openings, but we see an idea, and then we, you know, this it switches on like chess is a game of patterns so once you see a pattern an original pattern like um, of course i mean there are the simplest patterns it's uh, a rank mate or smother mate or a fork a pin whatever so these are ba- basic patterns we're working with but then with uh, you know with the experience you get with the games you play with the ideas you see you get more and more patterns But you will not i will not like remember them uh, like uh, like this, but whenever then uh, in the game it comes it comes up, the pattern comes up, and I will think, oh yeah, I saw this idea and maybe it, maybe it can work here. So this is how uh, defensive abilities uh, improved so much for the chess players. In terms of endgame. well of course we have uh, table bases, so which means that now um, end games, and uh, like seven pieces, or less are fully solved now. Um, but of course, like uh, I think to get to five to six pieces, it took like five years. To get to six to seven pieces, I think it took more or less fifteen years. And while I'm expecting to get to seven from seven to eight pieces. Yeah, th- it th- will take uh, another thirty or forty years. Yeah. Like
2: uh, I think there are there there's a bit of um, improvement. They can do eight pieces with two opposite pawns know in this situation where you have
1: uh... with two opposite points. yeah points on the same uh, column so yeah table basis is only one thing um, in terms of working with computers in the end games like I mean we do we often find some ideas but it's generally done to calculation and like it's just not um, like the basic end games, uh the work that was done originally in most basic endgames was remarkably accurate. Like we can Bishop against Fruk for instance was this was so accurate and this was four hundred years ago. So we have this uh you know this endgame knowledge that dates back like, like 100 to 400 years ago and it's remarkably accurate. So we like almost all the work I've done in terms of uh endgame books Back 20 years ago is you know not full proof obviously but it's a really good basis so the computers don't help us that much in that way but the change bec- becomes in terms of uh, table basis so when you know s- in some specific case it could be useful but at the same time then it becomes a matter of being so great mm. that it's almost impossible like to for some of the end games that are suddenly uh, considered as winning by the table basis, it has almost no practical value uh, unless you basically dedicate so much time mm. to that that well, it would uh, not be beneficial. Like maybe be beneficial in that area specifically, but overall. Uh, It wouldn't be beneficial to talk to have chess.
0: Yeah, and maybe two last questions about uh, the use of engines in chess. Like, do you see any negative consequences about the use of engines? Like, people rely so much on engines or or something? Um, There is so, like, for
1: instance, the idea is, for instance, for me not to use too much the engine uh, when uh, preparing openings. Of course, I need to, but. I will. I mean, I will mostly rely on my seconds, on my coach, to do this actual blunt work of you know using the engines, right and left, and yeah, I will use it when necessary. I will use it to get acquainted to the position again, but then I also want to be using my brain because otherwise, you know, you can look. For instance, one thing, one very simple thing: you look at the position. And computer says you have four options that are all equal in value and gives equal position, and you're just assuming it's you know it's close to a draw, and you will figure out in the game during the game, and then during the game you're <laughs> left with the position, and you're like, yeah, this option is probably fine. I remember computer says it's fine, but I don't like it so much, and the other one, I don't like it as well. So yeah, then uh, it generally makes you think life is easier than it actually is. Again, because the computer is so strong that, you know, they can defend basically any position. So that's one thing. And the second thing, of course, if you're using too much the computer, you're losing this ability to think by yourself and to be um, ready to do calculation during the game. And that's why very often when someone improves a lot, and like works so much with the computer to have uh, new opening ideas and suddenly is uh, you know becomes extremely good uh, with opening ideas you lose some uh, like partly your abilities to be resourceful and to be um, you know for to have uh, accurate calculation all throughout the game so you know it's always you need to find your your balance because of course the most you work with an engine, you, the, most you, the better you know about openings and stuff but then
0: you also need to keep your practical abilities and your mind sharp. Yeah, and now the last question is a, a Brazilian youtuber about chess that's called Rafael Leite, he sent you this question, he's a big fan and he calls you in Brazil the chess acrobat because of your tactical plays in the mid game and then his question is like, if you take like 10 grandmasters and you have one day for each move to play against the actual version of Stockfish, do you feel that you can win a game or at least have a draw? Like you and um, the best 10 players. Do we have access to engines? I probably not. No, no, yet. no, no. no. Yeah, it's yeah. up to you to think about the move. You have the whole day to think about it. and
1: Yeah, I think nowadays without an engine, there's just no chance. Like, um, we cannot come up even in a day's time of work. Um, like, probably we could also draw, especially with white. But I don't feel like we there's a way to to outplay uh, the, the computers nowadays.
0: So there is no limit for a computer. Like they, they will always be better than the humans for now and. Ah, I
1: mean this. Like, we are actually improving thanks to the computers, but they're
0: improving faster, so... (laughs) 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 And now maybe some questions about chess in general, about your path in chess. Like, can you tell a little bit your story? Like, why did you decide to play chess? You saw that you were so good and you started doing it for your parents or...?
1: Yeah, so my father taught me the rules and... Yeah, I started playing like with uh, um, some uh, electronic uh, chessboard at Christmas. So I was always using it. We also had so some so some manual that I would go through and learn some tactics already. So then uh, I like the game obviously, and um, so this was Christmas '95, and by September '96. Uh, we went to um, chess club in Crete, so in my place and there I started you know playing and uh, playing with kids and you know learning with um, my first teacher my first chess coach was there with Birmingham and started playing tournaments so first tournaments I was playing sort of well but you know nothing special um, and then I played the first uh, like I qualified to the French Youth Championship under eight and I won it. And there was this mix of me liking the game, me enjoying the game, me enjoying, like answering the the questions, uh, tactics, and so on. And I was like fast at it. I was uh, like the attack, uh, <laughs> you know, at least for my age. And then I I also started winning so. I could launch my competitive side and also doing something i really enjoyed and that's how it started and the fact that of course i kept on winning you know <laughs> it's always good it, to win. you know it uh, gives you momentum to to keep on and yeah i kept on kept on and then uh, when i realized i could make it a profession uh, i kept on kept on and here we
0: are and do you feel that you are gifted for chess
1: for sure like uh I mean you cannot make it uh to the top 10 without being gifted. Um nowadays it's easier to become stronger without like any natural gift, uh because you can compensate exactly with hard work, with so much knowledge you have at your disposal, with engines engines work, but at the end of the day, you know, the most naturally gifted players we also work hard, I mean, like it's not like I have not worked, uh, obviously, I had to work to get where I am, but um yeah, then you need this uh little spark to to make it uh among the best players
2: and so what what would you say are your qualities uh that you have in uh, even more than the other top ten players since you you were yeah. world number two you were over to twenty eight hundred you,
1: you yeah. world worldlitz champion, so what um Okay, it evolved, of course, but uh, natural instincts, so like of course, the ability to uh, trust my guts uh, like because for instance, there are some players who are incredibly gifted, but they cannot trust themselves they cannot trust the calculation. I have this ability to you know to calculate one line and almost not come back to it, so this means I can play faster. I mean there will be some things I miss, but at the same time it gives uh My abilities to put pressure on the clock on my opponent, and that's one thing I do remarkably well, even at top level. So you know, good knowledge of end games obviously that helps a lot even at this level. Like there's always ways to gain some some points because of that. The abilities to calculate, but like. So there are two types of calculation. One is deep calculation. Of course, I can sort of do that, but um, I feel like some of the players can do it better than I do. But uh, there's also the, you know, pure, um, like, flat calculation that I will do for every move and find some tricks. And it's of course especially powerful in Blitz because it allows me to set, set up traps uh, at basically every move I play in Blitz, And this means that at some point, hopefully that's like my strategy, my opponent will finally fall into a, a trap I set up. And so, um, you know, and then there's obviously like resilience, being uh, able to, um, to keep performing uh, when the situation is not great. And like on the board to be able to still try to find the best move to find the best way to resist, uh, and uh, you know save the game basically. So like this is one thing I'm good at. Another is when you actually lose the game, you have to rebound mm-hmm. and be uh, be ready to fight uh, the next day. So that's also something I'm decent at. So yeah, you know, mix of everything. And yeah, one other thing that I'm very good at I feel like is blindfold chess so uh. it's in itself it's not very useful because we don't play blindfold but at the same time when I'm looking at a position and of course you cannot touch pieces so you have to look uh, way uh, way in advance and I don't really make mistakes like no matter how deep I will look at the position I will not make mistakes uh, like even if I have to calculate 20 moves uh, okay. in advance uh, and then it comes to a pawn race, I mean, I will know which pawn arrives first and mm-hmm. there will not be a mistake.
0: And like when you calculate 20 moves after, like if you are in the 20th one and you need to see, okay, the opponent have two possible moves and then you go up to a move and then you go back and then you go up, you, you can do it while calculating in, in your head? Yeah,
1: so then it becomes, uh, it becomes tricky, of course, when you're calculating so deeply you want to avoid. Uh, that your opponent has, like, you want your opponent to have your his options uh, totally forced, but sometimes, of course, it's not like that. So, then it needs to become, uh, in terms of uh, of uh, logical thinking. So, I'm looking first at this line, and then I see my opponent as uh, as an alternative move. So I will look at both alternatives, but one after the other, mm-hmm. and then come back to to it, and you know. It's okay. It's hard to say whether this is difficult or easy because it's been something I've been trained to do my yeah. whole life. It's so it became, it became very natural, very instinctive. But like it's still a game where you know you win because opponents you mistakes your opponent make, or you lose because of mistakes you make, and the game is so complicated that. You make some mistakes sometimes. I make some mistakes, obviously sometimes. So, yeah, it's not an easy game,
0: but that's what makes it fun. (laughs) Yeah, it is. And like you are the world champion of Blitz right now. You prefer to play Blitz than classical games because you have more tricks to to do. Or, I mean, it's not only that. Like I just feel
1: like nowadays, especially with like we're talking about this things exactly the computer area. The fact that all op- all players have access to the same engines, to the same preparation, it's harder and harder to actually uh, find ways to, to get playable positions. Even like it's not we're not talking about getting uh, an advantage, but getting a position from where you can outplay your opponent. So this is becoming harder and harder, and that's where blitz play comes. Into action, like your opponent has less time to react to surprises, so it makes it uh, even more powerful to launch surprises. No matter, like it can be a very bad move, but if your opponent doesn't have time to actually refute it, or then you can actually outplay your opponent from uh, less playable positions, like a position where you would agree a draw in a classical game, but so your opponent uh, also has very little time to, to react. So that's why I like the blitz better because simply it gives more opportunities to, uh, to outplay uh, your opponent and to, you know. But I also feel like like uh, there are some players, of course, who, are, uh, who like the purity of classical chess, the fact that you can, uh, look at the position for so long and so deep that you find new and new ideas, like after half an hour of thinking or even one hour of thinking, so. Uh, that also has merit.
2: And when you think for half an hour or one hour, is it at like 100% speed like when you think in blitz or when you calculate in blitz or is it a bit different
1: the way you... Uh, it's calculate? much different and um, to be fully honest like I try <laughs> to avoid uh, because my, my thinking is if you're thinking about a move for more than 20 minutes so that's more as the limit I set myself. It's generally gonna be a mistake. Mm. Like uh, nothing good comes out of it, not because you're doing the calculation wrong, but simply because it's a difficult position to navigate, and you know yeah. nothing really satisfies you. And then very often, when this happens, you will end up making a move that you look at it last minute because you're not satisfied with those other options, and you decide to go for this. And of course you've taken like 2 minutes out of the thirty to or maybe 1 hour to look at it and also i feel like uh, at some point like maybe not after 20 minutes but after 30 minutes it's harder and harder to you know come up with some new ideas in the position like uh, some players um, do it uh, actually quite well but uh, i don't like at some point i were out of ideas to look at so that's why i set myself this limit of twenty twenty five minutes, but um, but yeah, it's uh, not gonna be like uh, blitz thinking. It's more like getting acquainted with the position, often uh, trying to realize what what's my best option, and again, like saying this, I don't like this move particularly, but um, but then I think at the end of the day, yeah, you are limited with your clock and. At the end of the day, you have to make a decision. It can also happen that it's not that you are not satisfied, but you have two options that seem equally valuable, and you don't uh, uh, you don't manage to take a decision. And yeah, this is one thing I want to be able to do. Uh, like, and that I am able to do is to take a decision, and then, of course, sometimes it's a mistake. But generally, um, as I couldn't know in advance, it was going to be a mistake better to actually take that decision uh, and win valuable time.
0: And when you're playing Blitz and you have these positions that you have three pieces that are attacked at the same time, do you really calculate all the possibilities or just like you trust your feelings and then you, you play it? Well, you cannot... Uh,
1: I mean, you already cannot analyze every possibility in classical chess So let alone in Blitz. um. So you have to trust your instincts, you have to trust your reflexes, that's for sure. But yeah, I also rely very much on fast calculation again, fast-based calculation to to look at a lot of lines, but a lot
0: of small lines instead of a few deep lines. And, and when you play Blitz, like even seeing that maybe there is one possibility that the opponent going to have a better position, you play it because you have more chances. Like you have five plays that he can make that will not be good, but one would be better than you. Oh yes, but uh, not for this reason.
1: Like you, it's not a voluntary gamble, but it, I feel like it's more uh, in classical game, not all the time you spend this. Uh, on uh, actual calculation but it's also circling into the position and you know because there are turnarounds during games like at some point you're better and then you have suddenly you realize your advantage has passed and now it's time to play more solid and probably settle for a draw so but you have this extra five minutes that you're disposal to you know get out of win mode and uh uh, in Blitz, you don't have that. You know, if you're in win mode, you keep like you're better, you're better, and at the moment you're not better anymore, you don't realize it, and that's where you know you can suddenly um, trust your position too much, and uh, actually it can backfire because you get too optimistic. So this is one way this can
0: happen. Yeah. So maybe a last question, would you have something to say to people that are starting to play chairs or like an advice to normal people like us to train?
1: In general, nowadays I can see that the best training uh, comes with practice. Like uh, I can see that, for instance, with streamers. Uh, a lot of streamers started streaming chess and, you know, like playing, playing, playing and, you know, with the resources at your disposal, like, of course, uh, you know, on YouTube, on uh, the engine that can tell you after every game what you have done wrong, and this way you can already improve a lot. Of course, then it's better to have um, someone that can guide you, someone experienced that can guide you and tell you uh, which mistakes you're making, and gives you specific um, ways to actually improve in those areas, but. Um, a lot of improvements, uh, you can do yourself, uh, because of, uh, you can practice so many, so many things, uh, nowadays with all the material and all the online games you can, you can play.
0: Yeah. And the last question that I always make here in the podcast is that like, if you have something to say to people, not, uh, but you can be, uh, it can be about chess or just about life. What would you say? This is the hard question of the episode. No, just like in chess, just like in life, I think you
1: have to at some point, again, take decisions, taking decisions. Like if you. It could be a mistake, but if you are not taking the decision, you cannot make a mistake, but at the same time, you cannot advance in what you're doing. So I guess this is um, one of the most valuable thing chess has taught me not that I'm not playing it too often but still
0: <laughs> well so thanks a lot for accepting coming here it was like a, really a pleasure to have you here and well I hope you guys also enjoyed the episode I'm pretty sure you did uh, maybe I can put your social media here if people want to follow you yeah yeah so like can you say it and then I will put in the description of the yes, episode yes it's
1: mvlchess on instagram and
0: Vashi underscore LaGueva on Twitter. Great. Yeah. So, guys, uh, this was the episode with MVL. It was <laughs> amazing for us to, to record it. Don't forget to follow the podcast on the social media. On Instagram, we are AI, And on LinkedIn, it's just lifefai. And until next episode, goodbye.